You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. So good to see you this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet before, my name is Sam. I serve as one of the pastors here at the church, and uh, so fun to be together. Um, We are kicking off this morning a brand new series as a church, a three-week series, a shorter one, but we're going to take the next three weeks starting today to explore our mission and our vision as a church, who we are as a community. That's what we'll be leaning into, what we believe that God is inviting us into as we continue to follow him in our unique cultural moment that we find ourselves living in today. But here's the thing, right off the top, I want to say that our our mission and our vision is not changing. It is the same that it has been for 48 years since our inception back in the 70s. CA Church has always and will always be about Jesus. Amen? Amen. We're here for one reason, because of Jesus. It is all about him. He's the reason that we gather together on Sunday mornings. He's the reason that we do all the different things that we do as a church and live on mission as we were talking about a moment ago. Our lives have been changed by Jesus. Our lives are being transformed by Jesus, have purpose that's found in him. He is the center of everything that is CA Church. At a macro level, if we boil it all down, it is all about Jesus. And Jesus has called us to a mission, not just our church, but the church. As John started with earlier this morning, we're part of something that's so much bigger than the people who are part of a campus of CA Church. We join in on 2,000 years of rich history brothers and sisters of Christ who, who, have, who have lived out the gospel in such beautiful ways. And then even in this moment, do you know that today there are over 2.3 billion people around the world who are gathering in churches just like this to make much of Jesus, to sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's beautiful. And Jesus has called his church to a mission. His mission is most explicitly seen in in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, as well as Acts chapter 1. And then as a church, what we've done is we've tried to sum those passages up into 12 simple words. Here's the way that we say it. That we exist to help all people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. We exist to help all all people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And as we start our discussion this morning, I want to ask a question that might sound kind of silly off the top, but I think it's important. The question is this, what do we mean when we say we want to help all people? What do we mean by all people? (laughs) Well, in short, we literally mean all people. We mean people of all ages, people of all ethnicities, the rich and the poor, those who are rock solid in their faith and following Jesus on a day-to-day basis, and those who aren't really sure what they believe about God anymore. All people means those who are deconstructing their faith. It also includes those who are curious about faith and just testing the waters and everyone in between on that spectrum. I guess I say that this morning because I want you to know that no matter where you find yourself today, that you belong here. I feel like it's possible to come into a church like this, especially if it's your first time today, and, and to maybe even feel like you're the odd one out here. Like maybe that everyone around you looks like they have things together and don't struggle with doubt or don't struggle with sin or, or relational struggles or whatever it may be. And I just want you to know, as you look around the room, that in so many ways, we are just like you. We're going through stuff. We're stumbling and making a mess from time to time, but we're here to follow Jesus together. 
to become fully devoted followers of him, which is this lifelong process that we engage. Okay, here's what I want to do with the remainder of our time together today, as well as what we'll do over this next three weeks, is we want to zero in on the second half of our mission statement, specifically what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. Because if that's why we exist as a church, if that's why we do all the different things that we do, then, then, then what do we mean when we say fully devoted followers? Or maybe I'll ask it like this. What does a fully devoted church actually look like? Well, back in 2021, our staff and our elders did a lot of work to answer that question and to articulate our specific focus as a church community. And we walked through that together in a series back at that time. And in many ways, what we, what we discovered as we dug deep is, is what's been shaping and guiding our decision-making as a church and our programming and where our emphasis lies. So as we look towards the future and dream about what the Lord is calling us into in the years ahead, I, I want to actually go back to the basics and lay out these simple truths. What does it mean to be a fully devoted church? Well, here's how we say it. To be a fully devoted church, to be fully devoted to Christ, is to be a people who are marked by his presence, a people who are being formed in his image, and a people joining in his mission. Let me say that again. If we're going to be a, a people who are fully devoted followers of Jesus, if we're going to be a faithful gospel presence here in this city and in the surrounding cities that we live and that we find ourselves, then it's going to look like a people who are marked by his presence, a people who are being formed in his image, and then, and then a people who are joining in on his mission on the earth. And so we're going to hit those statements one at a time, week by week, and, uh, and we'll do our best to try to articulate what it looks like to become that kind of people. Does that sound Okay. Yes? Okay, let's start with Jesus' presence. To be a people who are marked by his presence. If you have a Bible, you could open it up to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to turn to a, a really simple verse, but I think a very profound verse as we look at what it means to live into the presence of Jesus. For context, at this point in the story of the church, Jesus has already been crucified. He, he's died on the cross. He's resurrected and appeared to, to 500 people over the span of 40 days. In Acts chapter 1, he, Jesus ascends into heaven to, to return into the right hand of the Father. But right before he leaves, he tells his disciples to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And so the disciples, they gather together in the upper room, and they're praying, and they're worshiping, and they're waiting. And then eventually it happens. The Spirit falls on them in a powerful way. Scripture talks about it as this strong wind and tongues of fire. And the Holy Spirit empowers Jesus' followers, the early church, to do like extraordinary things. From that moment, from Pentecost, Jesus' church, it just began to explode all over the ancient world. Thousands of people coming to faith in a single day, people getting healed and set free. And then we come to Acts chapter 4, verse 13. For context, Earlier in chapter four, Peter and John, two of Jesus' disciples, are out preaching the gospel. They're telling people about the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus is the Savior. They're declaring Jesus as Lord. And then here's what we read in verse 13. It says, Now when the crowd saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that these were people who had been with Jesus. Such a simple verse. But I think it's also a verse that has extraordinary implications for us as a church. Let me read that one more time. Verse 13. Now when they, this is talking about the crowds, when, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that these were uneducated, common men, 
They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Okay, what's going on in this verse? Why were the onlookers, those who watched Peter and John, why were they so astonished? Why were they shocked by what they saw? Well, according to the text, for, for a few reasons. First, because they realized that Peter and John, they were, they were just common men. They were fishermen, which wasn't a particularly prestigious occupation at that time in history. Actually, in the first century, in a a very class-driven society, to work as a fisherman was was pretty much at the very bottom of the totem pole. Like, these weren't naturally born leaders or influencers. These were common, ordinary people. They were also uneducated. They didn't have a master's degree. They weren't seminary students. These these guys were likely dropouts of high school who, who left and then joined dad's fishing business. They were out on boats night after night just trying to make a basic living wage. There's nothing that's really that special about these guys. They weren't the kind of people that were building six-figure businesses or showing up in Vancouver's 30 under 30 list. They weren't TED Talk speakers or TikTok sensations. These guys were just ordinary people. Yet despite that fact about Peter and John, despite their unimpressive resumes, they were doing extraordinary things. They were out preaching the gospel with courage and with boldness, and not just them, but all of Jesus' disciples. They were these these simple people, ordinary people, but living and acting in extraordinary ways. Fishermen, tax collectors, ex-prostitutes, lowest of the low in their society, but they began to lead this exploding movement and preach and teach and proclaim Jesus as Lord, and people were confessing their sins, and people were responding to God, thousands of them. And this this movement was growing and people were getting saved and getting baptized every day. And as those who were on the outside peered in, as they looked in at these disciples, these followers of Jesus, and they tried to explain what it was that was going on, the only thing that they could say was that these were people who had been with Jesus. It wasn't their degrees or their accomplishments or their ability to speak eloquently or their ability to strategize. It wasn't their relevance to culture. Actually, they were very irrelevant to their culture as fishermen. What set Peter and John and the rest of the disciples apart was the simple reality that they had been with Jesus, that they had been marked by his presence. And if you grew up in church like me, or or you've heard these New Testament narratives preached over and over again, it's easy to read a verse like Acts chapter 4 and and think of it in such a normal kind of way. Like, yeah, that's very cool that they were with Jesus. Very cool. But I want to take a step back for a moment and acknowledge how crazy it is that the God of the universe was with his creation. Like, remember, this is Jesus that we're talking about. This is God in the flesh. These men had been in the presence of creator God the one who flung the galaxies into existence, the one who thought up the human brain and and thought up color and taste buds, Peter and John were walking and talking with God. And this is what makes Christianity so unique in the marketplace of religions. We follow a God who comes to us, who comes and dwells with his people, the living God. He's not sitting up on a cloud somewhere with his arms crossed far, far away. And he's a God who comes to us who longs to dwell with us. See, every other religion, if you think of it like a mountain, every other religion says, climb up the mountain to come to me, to come to the higher power or to the God. Climb up and do all these things and and rehearse all these things and be this kind of person. Then you can have a relationship with me. But Christianity is this picture of a God coming down the mountain to dwell with his people. It's not us ascending to God, it's God descending to us. 
And this theme runs all throughout scripture, this theme, the theme of God drawing near and desiring relationship with his people. All the way from Genesis chapter one in the garden, all the way through to the end of Revelation. It's this picture of a God who longs to be with his people, a God who's committed to restoring what sin has broken, a God who's calling humanity back into close proximity with him. In many ways, that's the grand narrative of scripture. But it actually climaxes, it's most explicitly expressed in the incarnation of Jesus. Where to quote Eugene Peterson, God put on flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. God, the creator, he was born among his creation. He took on human flesh and he dwelt with us. What kind of God does that? Disadvantages himself for the advantage of his creation. What kind of God leaves his throne in heaven to become one with us, to die for us? Only a God who is so deeply passionate about relationship. Only a God who loves us so recklessly and desires intimacy with us. See, that's who Peter and John were hanging out with. They're hanging with God in the flesh. Can you imagine how amazing that would have been? To be in the physical presence of Jesus, following him wherever he went, eating with him and watching him heal the sick and cast out demons, hiking and traveling all throughout the ancient world. Gosh, to be there on the first day that Jesus ever preached the Sermon on the Mount and to hear those words just leave his mouth, how incredible would that have been to be with Jesus in that kind of way? Like Sometimes I feel like those early disciples had, had such a leg up in their journey of following Jesus, such an advantage in their faith that they were actually with him. Like, like to be right there in the room, to get to ask him questions and to sit at his feet and to learn. I would give anything for that opportunity. It feels like they had such an advantage But then interestingly, in John 16, Jesus says, if anything, we're the ones with the advantage. We're the ones with the leg up. Look at what he says in John 16, verse 7. He says, I tell you the truth. It's it's for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. See, Jesus is saying that it's actually better for us that, that he would return to the Father. Because then the helper, the Holy Spirit, would come. And when he comes, we wouldn't only experience God with us in the flesh, but we'd experience God in us by his spirit. Access to the presence of Jesus at all times, in all places. Pentecost marks this amazing moment in the story of the church where just like the prophets of old had pointed towards, just like Jesus had had, had talked about and had pointed towards, the spirit of God was poured out on all of his followers for all of time. And that includes us. See, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been marked, you've been sealed, or you could say filled with the Holy Spirit. We see this all throughout the New Testament, and Paul the Apostle, he points to it really clearly in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. He says, when you believed, or you could say when you gave your life to Jesus, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, when you became a Christian, the Holy Spirit, he came and he took up residence with you. So that means that as you're sitting in this room right now as a follower of Jesus, or any room for that matter, that the Spirit of God lives and is alive in you. As you go into your workplace throughout the week, or your school, or to a coffee shop, or to, to, to a park, or, you, or you're in your home, you are a carrier of the Holy Spirit. That same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead actually lives in you. You have access to the presence of God by His Spirit. 
And I recognize that this is one of those things that we can, we can start to wrap our minds around cognitively, like we can start to understand it. Even theologically, we can start to wrap our minds around it. But we will spend the entirety of our lives learning to live out this in reality. Learning to live in awareness of his presence. To actually learn to hear his voice. To recognize Jesus all around us. But where do we start? Like, let's just say that, that, that what Jesus said is true. That it's actually better for us that we would have the spirit than his physical presence. How do we live into that reality? How do we follow him and, and, and commune with him and be in relationship with him in the here and now? How do we be a people marked by his presence in the tri-cities in 2023? Well, the first thing that I'll say is that there's no formula. <laughs> it's not A plus B equals C. Following Jesus isn't static, and it's also not, not linear. It's not formulaic. It's, it's relational. Remember, we follow a person, not a set of ideas. We follow a person. That being said, there are some pathways that followers of Jesus have embraced for centuries in order to commune with God. And, and we'll barely touch the tip of the iceberg in our time together this morning, but I do want to lay out a bit of some, a bit of some examples. Has anyone heard of Brother Lawrence? Anyone heard I've talked about him before a bit, but he's had this massive impact on the Christian understanding of the presence of God. He was a soldier in the, in the 17th, 17th century, um, but, but he got saved, committed his life to Jesus, and then committed his entire life to what he called practicing the presence of God. Like I said, he lived in the 17th century, and, he, and after he became a follower of Jesus, he ended up working as a dishwasher in a monastery, so his day job wasn't anything fancy by any means or stretch of the imagination. But through his life, he also wrote a number of letters and journals. And he had these conversations that were recorded. And I want to share one of the things that he shared in one of those letters. He said this. He said, the time of busyness does not for me differ from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things... I possess God in his great tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. Hmm. So in other words, for Brother Lawrence, there was very little difference between a designated prayer time on his knees in the chapel and his day-to-day -day tasks of scrubbing pots and pans in the kitchen for angry monks. I don't know why my mind goes to Nacho Libre. <laughs> but Brother Lawrence did it all with God and for God. And he acknowledged that, that Jesus' presence, it was not only available in the sacred parts of life, in the gathering of the church, in the singing of worship songs, in prayer in the chapel, but his presence was available even in the mundane, ordinary stuff that he did as a dishwasher. See, according to Brother Lawrence, practicing the presence of God is learning to actually be in two places at once. Learning to be eating your yogurt and granola in the morning and in the presence of God. Changing diaper after diaper after diaper of your newborn baby and in the presence of God. At the office or in your home office, checking emails or on Zoom calls, maybe if you're at home dressed up on the, ups, ups, up on the top, dressed down on the bottom, but in the presence of God. It's learning to listen to his voice and to respond, to live in this continual awareness of and relationship with the Spirit. And I love the word practice that Brother Lawrence uses because it signifies that this is something that takes time and effort and intention. Not to bring the presence of God to us, his presence is all around us at all times, but learning to live in awareness of his presence. 
Like to actually know him, to commune with him, to experience friendship with him. And hey, maybe it's important to say that, that as followers of Jesus, we can be intentional with practicing the presence of God, like we, like we heard from, from Brother Lawrence, but we can also actually ignore his presence. And it's never been easier to ignore, to mute the voice of God than in the culture and the day that we live in today. With all the noise and distractions and the busyness of our lives, our minds are so full of so many different things. A big one right now is digital distraction that we're all dealing with, be it smartphones or laptops or tablets, giving us this endless opportunity for entertainment consumption, and it's all available literally at our fingertips. And the digital world is not the only thing that's fighting for our attention. There is all sorts of things that we find in this world that we live. But this constant state of distraction that we live in, it serves as this kind of white noise that maybe, maybe mutes us or, or numbs us to the stuff that we don't want to think about. But it also robs us of the opportunity to live into the presence of Jesus. Because there's constantly something in our ears. Or there's constantly something on our screens to look at. I wonder how many times we miss Jesus, miss what he might want to say to us or, or do in us or do through us because we're so distracted. Maybe this is a helpful picture. I don't know if, uh, if you've ever seen a couple like this in a restaurant um, who are physically sitting across from each other. They're on a date, spending quality time, but they spend the entirety of their meal looking down at their phones. Have you ever seen a couple like this? <laughs> Don't look at that couple right now if they're in the room. <laughs> Scrolling and texting, and in one sense, they're right there in the room together, but in another sense, they're both in a whole nother place somewhere in the metaverse. But um, I, I watched a, here's an example, I watched a couple at, um, at Cactus Club a few weeks ago, and maybe this is something you don't know about me, but I am an, an avid eavesdropper, okay? <laughs> So, so this is fair warning. If you ever find yourself at a restaurant at a table near me, I am always listening, okay? <laughs> I'm kidding, kind of. But I was, I, was, I was watching this couple at Cactus Club, and the girl was really excited, and she was sharing all these things that she was, were going on in her life with, with her boyfriend or whoever the guy was that she was sitting with. And she was excited, and she was laughing, and she was, she was sharing these things that are deep in her heart, and talking about things that she was looking forward to that were coming up, and talking about all these things that she was nervous about, and, and the entire time, I kid you not, the guy was looking like this at his phone. The odd time, he would look up and, and, and give her the slight nod, or mm-hmm, uh, but I think it's safe to say he had no clue what she was talking about. And I think a lot of times, that's a picture of, of our relationship with the Spirit, like he is always speaking. He's always moving. He's always pointing us towards Jesus, but we can so easily miss him because we're so distracted, caught up in the busyness of our lives. I also think sometimes we struggle to experience the presence of Jesus because of, just, just because of apathy, because of a lack of expectancy that he'll speak to us or that he'll move. Or maybe even deep down, the question is if we need him to. Because we're so self-sufficient nowadays. We're so evolved with science and art and architecture and medicine and business. We can do this thing called life on our own. Like, do you ever wonder why it seems like the Spirit of God moves so much more actively and present overseas? Like, you can go on a missions trip to a developing country and, and experience God moving in such power. It's like his presence is so close you could taste it. And then you come back to life in Canada and can oftentimes just feel so spiritually dry. Why is that? 
why does God move in, in, why doesn't he move in the same way over here as he does there? Or why doesn't he do it as, as often or show up so much? Well, I really believe that a big part of that in our culture is, is, is an apathy towards the spirit, a self-sufficiency. Like we can slip into believing that we can do this whole thing. We can build our lives on our own. There's no desperation for God. Even in the church, we can get so confident with our methods and, and, and our programs and our preaching and our fundraising and we can miss God in the process. Settling for human efforts rather than a move of the spirit. See, if we go back to the book of Acts, it wasn't any of those things that set apart the early church. It wasn't their strategy. It wasn't a compelling vision series. It wasn't their kids' ministry or their classes or their communications or their facility or the taste of their coffee, as important as that is. What set Jesus' church apart in the first century and it continues to set his church apart today is his presence, his real, authentic, tangible presence. That's what changes people. One encounter with the living God. The world takes notice when we, the church, ordinary people like you and like me, are walking so closely with Jesus that we begin to act and look and smell like him. We become this peculiar people who live in such a countercultural way, and it makes the world take notice. And I'm convinced, and this resolve just keeps getting stronger and stronger in my heart, that the only hope we have of seeing our city transformed by the gospel, the only hope is through the presence and work of Jesus. Like, look at our culture. I think it is so unlikely that we are gonna win our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers through a compelling argument by outsmarting them in some way. And don't get me wrong, think, thinking well is really important and, and learning to build a defense for our faith. We're gonna talk about that next week and the importance of that. But if those of us, if, if those in our world who are lost and wandering are gonna find hope in Jesus, I really believe it's gonna happen as a result of an encounter with the living God. And my prayer is that as the world encounters us, Jesus' followers, that they would experience something different, that they would experience him living through us. Maybe they couldn't even quite put their finger on it, but they'd experience the fruit of the Spirit so evident in our lives. Maybe the only thing they could say to make sense of it would be these are people who have been with Jesus. That's when revival breaks out. That's when cities are changed and transformed, when the church gets, gets, gets to the end of themselves and begins to humbly pray, come Holy Spirit, move in our hearts, move in our lives, revive us again, do among us what only you can do. You know, David mentioned a few weeks ago that, that revival starts like this. I think it was B Billy Graham who said this, that revival starts when we draw a circle around ourselves and say, Lord, start it in me. Start it in my heart. Revive me to the things of you. It starts with intentionally cultivating a hunger in our hearts for Jesus and his presence. Okay, before we close... I wanna get really practical for a few moments and share a bit of what, how we want to grow into this value of Jesus' presence as a church. There's some simple things that we wanna do as a, as a community, and wanna, I wanna invite you into it as we seek to orient our hearts towards the presence of Jesus. And so first, we, we really wanna prioritize prayer and ministry time in our weekly gatherings when we come together on Sunday mornings. Okay, every aspect of our gatherings is important. The worship time is really important. The preaching 
is really important. Even the community updates that we share as we follow Jesus together. But, but one area that I think has been really underemphasized in our church is prayer and ministry time. I'm talking specifically about the time after our services where we have opportunities to pray together, to respond to what we've heard. And, uh, and it, it, that's gonna look different every week as we seek to lean into that, but, but here's what you'll see regularly in our services as we, as we try to structure and orient around Jesus' presence, is every single week there will be prayer people up here during response, an opportunity to come up and to pray. And can I just say, can I encourage you in this? That coming up for prayer is not only something you do when you're at the end of your rope and you just need a breakthrough. You do do it at that time, absolutely, But praying with a brother or sister in Christ is just a regular rhythm of following Jesus. We contend in prayer together. And I know for me, there are certain weeks where I'm going through a lot or the Lord is stirring something in my heart or I'm struggling with something or I feel anxious about something. And it is such a gift to be able to come and to receive prayer with a trusted person. Here's what I dream of as I think about our church and our gatherings together. I dream of these altars just being full of people praying together. Not because there's anything specifically special about our prayer team, although they are wonderful people, but because we're a praying church and we understand that prayer changes things. So we humbly bring our needs before the Lord, the big needs and the small needs, but we commit them before him. Okay, secondly, we wanna invite you to, we're gonna participate in seasons as a church of intentional prayer and fasting. We're going to be carving out time throughout the year for us to pray together as a church community, to seek the presence of God together. And we'll talk more about that as we go, but but an example of this is a prayer day that we're going to do to kick off Advent. It'll be a little prayer retreat. Pastor David's going to lead it, and a really intentional time as we kick off a season towards Christmas of, of fixing our attention on the incarnation of Jesus. We're also going to start in the new year, we're going to kick off with a prayer series on Sunday mornings. But we're also going to launch into 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we'll talk more about that as we draw closer. But we want to encourage you, we want to encourage us as a community to join together in in positioning ourselves for a move of God. And then thirdly, we are inviting our whole church to embrace a slowed-down spirituality. And there's so much that I want to say on this point, but I'm running out of time, and so I'll just say this. Um, What would it look like for you to simplify aspects of your day, aspects of your life, eliminate distractions, and just intentionally create space to be with Jesus? What are some practices that you could embrace as as you seek to live out your faith and build relationship with Jesus in the midst of your ordinary life? Maybe it's scripture reading, returning to that. Maybe it's Sabbath or silence and solitude, or or the prayer of examine. We're gonna be doing a series, like I said, at the start of the year, where we'll lean into some of these modes of prayer and being with Jesus. But even now, what would it look like for you just to start to take an inventory of your day and say, hey, what could I eliminate? What could I cut? How could I slow down for loving union with God? Because let me remind you, Jesus is, is with us all the time. He is always speaking. But are we listening? We're gonna intentionally do that together as a community. Okay. As we close, here's what I wanna do. If you're, if you're here today and you say, you know what, I, I do want to grow in relationship with the Spirit. I do want to hear His voice in new ways. I do want to grow a friendship with God. I want to know Him. Then uh, I, I wanna pray for you this morning. As we kick off this series and 
there's lots to come, lots of exciting things as we look towards what the Lord is calling us to do in the tri-cities and overseas. But we wanted to start here because if we have any hope of accomplishing what the Lord's put in our hearts, it happens through a move of God. It happens through a work of his spirit. So if you say, I wanna be that kind of person, I wanna be a person like Peter and John who people look at and say the only answer to why he is or why she is the way that she is is because they've been with Jesus. If that's you, then in a moment, I wanna ask you to stand as we move into response and I wanna pray over you. Pray. Actually, yeah, right now, we can do that. If you want that, if you say, I want to be someone who is living into the, the presence of the Spirit, would you stand right now? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, God, I pray that you would start it with us, that you would birth a hunger in our hearts for the things of you that you would give us, that you would stir in us a desire above all the other things that are fighting for our attention, a desire to be with you. We long to be a people who are marked by your presence. People look at it and say they've been with Jesus. I wanna lead you in a simple prayer that, it's actually 2,000 years old, it's the, it's the first prayer of the church, right from Pentecost. It's a simple prayer, it's come Holy Spirit. And as I said earlier, we don't have to try to beckon the Spirit to come, He's here all around, He's here with us right now. But as we say come Holy Spirit, essentially what we're saying is we want more of you, God. We wanna experience you, we wanna grow in awareness of you. And so right now in this moment, if you're comfortable, just under your breath, if that's what you want, would you just murmur quietly, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, I want more of your presence. I want to grow in a relationship with you. I want to know you, God. I want to be filled with your spirit fresh again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.